All right, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Romans 12, 2. Man, I'm nervous. Sorry. Hey, family, my name is Jeremy. I'm a grateful follower of Jesus Christ, and I walked in to celebrate recovery because of my alcohol and drug addiction, and I'm staying because of my character defects. The for, and for the forever family I found here, and of course, because of these amazing students I get to hang with on, on every Thursday. If you are a newcomer today or if you have been here for a short amount of time, when I walked through those doors, I thought all I had to do is sit through a few meetings and share a few war stories, and I would be able to kick this de chemical dependency I had. Life would be back to normal, and I could go on living the way I lived, just sober this time right? Boy, what a joke that is. What I learned real quick was that my, the chemical addiction that I had was just a side effect, a form of coping that I had picked up over the years to hide or deal with the real problems in my life, my character defects. Character defects are negative traits we pick up on this journey we call life, and we use these things to deal with everyday issues or manipulate things in our favor. So I'm going to take you all on a ride with me to how I arrived here at CR and how Jesus Christ in this program has changed my life and continues to do so every day. When I was three, my mom left my dad. My earliest childhood memory was one of my dad standing over my mom, hollering at her and making, and me holding onto her leg, worried sick. I don't know how soon you can start being a codependent, but looking back, I knew something wasn't right, and I knew my mom was not okay and needed some sort of protection or comforting that my little two-year-old self was trying to give. So she left him and quickly remarried my stepdad, who was her high school sweetheart, and they are still together to this day. Needless to say, that did not set well with my dad at all, and he spent my entire childhood trying to cause issue after issue in their lives, and he used me a lot of times to do so. The first song that I learned to sing was Fleetwood Mac, You Can Go Your Own Way. My dad, my dad <laughs> y'all get it? My dad taught me that song and had me memorize it on the weekends when I would go home and sing it to my mom. That's how you sent a hateful text back in the 80s through your kids. <laughs> My dad was a controlling, functioning alcoholic, but no matter what he did, he still hung the moon in my eyes. Even when I didn't get that clutch hit in Little League Baseball, he made me feel so small and defeated because he was a winner, and I was required to be one too. I still thought he could do no wrong. I spent my whole childhood trying to make him proud of me only to fall just this short time and time again. My mom would spend so much time telling me that I was perfect just the way I was, but my idol was telling me differently. I didn't believe my mom. I only believed what he said I was. Other than that, I had a pretty normal childhood, played sports, did well in school, went to church with my Nana and learned about Jesus in Sunday school. I love Sunday school, but big church, eh, not so much. In the early 80s, a Southern Baptist preacher scared me. I was either, it was either believe in Jesus or burn. 
That was the only two choices that you had. Now, and now as an adult, I know that that is still the truth, but when you were six, it hits a little differently. So cruising right along, the next stop is my teenage years. Porn entered my life right around puberty. I started noticing the magazines my dad had beside the toilet and found the VHS tapes as well. But porn wasn't the only thing that I got into around that time. I had an older sister, and we learned a lot of adult things together. We would steal cigarettes from my, from my mom and stepdad, which then turned into stealing beer from the fridge and liquor from the cabinets. I was 15 when I smoked my first joint, and I started running with a crowd that smoked and drank regularly. My dad bought me my first truck when I was 16 and quickly turned, took it from me the first time I didn't do what he said for me to do. And long story short, I had a date one night. It was his weekend. Didn't come down to his house. He came the next Monday, took the truck from me. Turned it into a work truck. It was a control thing for him, and I was getting older and was starting to use my voice, but he still took it and made my brand new truck his work truck. That didn't sit well with me, and, and I continued and wanted more to hang out with that wrong crowd. I failed a class in the 10th grade and had to go to summer school, where on the last day, me and some kids had met in the, in the uh, parking lot, and we decided a bottle of liquor before we went into school that day would be a great idea, until the principal had to wake me up in the bathroom floor, passed out on my own puke. That was a real highlight of my teenage years, right? I limped through high school, finally graduating. I got accepted to the University of Georgia. I was in Athens, away from my friends and my girlfriend, but believe it or not, my addictions I had acquired were still impacting my life. The phrase, wherever you go, there you are, should have been my slogan then. I met people in the dorm I was living in, and we would sneak kegs up the back stairs and have keggers all weekend long, still not even old enough to drink legally. Well, the roommate I had wasn't cool with all that, nor was he cool with all the weed that I was smoking. I guess he was actually there to get an education. I mean, who goes to Georgia to do that? <laughs> Needless to say, the police came in one day and searched my room and gave me the option of either leaving the University of Georgia or staying and facing the charges for the weed. I left and went back home, but Mama had had enough. She sent me to an inpatient rehab, and between there and jail, I spent the next two years of my life. These were the King Jeremy years. I got out of jail and fell off a roof, high and hungover from the night before. When I say I fell off a roof, I fell 30 feet, shattering my ankles and putting me in a wheelchair for six months afterwards. See, I wasn't interested in bettering my life. I had gotten out of jail, moved into the same place the cops had gotten me from the year before, and even went back to the same job. I believe God had better ideas for me. Falling off the roof that day shattered both of my ankles. Yes, it did. But almost 29 years later, it's literally a step-by-step -step reminder that God saved my life that day. I spent the next six months back at mom's going through physical therapy and learning to walk again. Once I was back on my feet, I moved to Conyers where I met my first wife. We were married for 10 years and realized after having four kids that our lives weren't meant for each other. I didn't drink while I was married. I was a father now and I wasn't going to be the guy 
who raised me, but it all changed when I moved out, moved out, right? I went right back to the bars and the lifestyle I was accustomed to having as a single man. Same addictions, just different playmates and different playgrounds. I ran into my high school girlfriend shortly after my split with my wife and just knew that it had to have been God's doings. It had to have been fate, right? We dated for about six months, and in that amount of time, I was able to acquire two DUIs within three months of each other, and I also got pepper sprayed during that period of time as well. That's nice, um, but I wasn't the problem. Everybody else was. I was completely out of control again and refused to see that it was me that was the problem. I spent the next two years of my life in a program in Rockdale County called DUI Court. That was a whole lot of fun also, let me tell you. Probation twice a month, saw the judge once a month, surveillance officer could show up any time that she wanted to, day or night, fines out the wazoo, as well as countless of hours of community service and drug classes but I endured it because I loved my girls and I didn't want them to know what a POS their dad was being. I completed the program. The night that I graduated from that program, I drank again. See, I was forced to quit. It was either quit drinking or go to jail. So, of course, I chose to not go to jail. I didn't do it for myself. I continued to drink daily, and I was a functioning alcoholic because I was able to run a plumbing company that I had built. I would spend lots of evenings on the phone with my dad after work because he had started working for me, and alcoholics love to talk to each other while they're drinking, all right? Well, I didn't notice how bad my dad's drinking had gotten. One day, he called me, and he had fallen in the shower and needed me to come take him to the hospital. They immediately put him on a ventilator to help him with the DTs, and 40 days later, I had watched my childhood hero die right in front of me. He was 63 years young, dead from liver failure due to drinking his entire life. But my dad had left me and my brother enough money that I was able to buy a house in Covington for me and the girls. They were living with me now, and I had found a perfect place for us all. First house I, I looked at, five bedrooms, Four kids, five bedrooms. It was perfect. Different playground, but same old, same old addictions and character defects. But now I had guilt and grief to deal with as well. That caused the alcohol, alcoholism to get out of control, and I ran off any and everybody that meant anything to me, except the girls. They had to endure the alcoholic I was now. They didn't have a choice in the matter. I woke up one morning and decided I needed to change. It was New Year's, and what a better way to, get to, better way to go back to church, and that's what I did. God had designed the service just for me. It felt like I was hearing everything I needed to hear. Conviction after conviction, I knew how I had made the right choice to go back to church. But still, outside of church, I continued my lifestyle of drinking and drugging. May of that year, I met someone that asked me if I would come to celebrate recovery, and reluctantly, I said, I guess. I was scared of changing my life, even though I knew I ha it had to happen. I walked in the door, and the first person I saw was Scott Moore, and he asked me to sit in the front row with him, and so I did. I immediately felt right at home. 
But I went home that night and drank. But it was no longer the same. I decided that this was going to be the last night, and I haven't looked back since. In three months, I'll be picking up my six-year chip. That means I am 2,088 days sober as of today. <laughs> but who's counting? And like addicts do, I totally hit celebrate recovery wide open. My addictions just needed me to admit them and move on. This was going to be simple and quick. I didn't, the quicker I did this, I could get my life back together and move on. <laughs> I learned real quick that ain't how it works. Recovery is a process. It takes daily work and effort to overcome your hurts, habits, and hang-ups. I joined the first step study I could get into and learned that I could not do this on my own. It was going to take Jesus and a team of forever family members to help me along. I also learned in my first step study that relapse is real as one of my leaders went through it during our step study. I realized then that if I wasn't careful, I was going to be right back where I started from, just one bad choice away. I know now that those thoughts of a quick fix were ridiculous and that my life from this point forward was going to be Jesus in recovery. And the first six months, <laughs> the first six months of getting over, over alcohol and drugs was the absolute hardest. Couldn't sleep, anxious all the time and scared of relapse. I was having to sit with what I was feeling and was not able to medicate those feelings anymore. It was so hard to do, and there were many times in those first few months I questioned, if what am I doing? I mean, I quit it all at one time, y'all. Alcohol, cigarettes, weed, Xanax, all at once. Go big or go home, right? It was hard, but I knew the life I would, I would live without Celebrate Recovery would be even harder. I started to make friends as well and let go of others that had been a negative influence in my life for so long. But this is what I had to do. I had spent 43 years of my life doing things on my own, and it was time to let go and come to the realization that, I, hey, I'm not God, like principle one says, and I had to admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing, and that I was the reason my life was unmanageable, not anybody else. Matthew 5.3, in the message translation, all right, says... You are blessed when you are at the end of your rope. Let that sit with you for a second. With less of you, there is more of God in his rule. His ways are truly better than mine. But I really didn't think there were blessings at the end of my rope. That was for sure. As time went on and I continued to come back Thursday after Thursday, I found all kinds of, kinds of ways to serve. I, it started with the baskets here in large group, then the diner, pre-COVID, of course, co-leading the Kim Group Open Share. I was getting a taste for the first time in my life of doing for others and not expecting anything in, the re, in return, and it felt awesome. In one short year, I'd come from the depths of alcohol and drug hell to a leader in Christ-centered recovery group. How amazing is our God, y'all? And that friend that got me here, we've been married and going strong now for over five years. Woo 
Another thing I learned on this journey is that where there's mountains, there are valleys. I felt like I was over the hump, over the hump with the booze and the drugs. I was sleeping better, felt better, but there was still underlying issues that I had to deal with on a daily basis. All the things that my addictions were hiding. I learned that I had character defects that needed addressing if I were going to get any further in my recovery. I have anger issues. I have control issues. I am a people pleaser and have always had a fear of letting people down and using the word no. So guess what I figured out I struggled with? Codependency, yes. This was the root of my issues. And the cool thing is, is that now I recognize when I am being that way. So there was a step study coming up and the leadership had asked me if I wanted to co-lead one with my new friend, Alan. I was honored to be asked to do this and I'm sure there was a part of me that took this on codependently, not wanting to tell the team no, but hey, I'm glad that I did it. See, when I did my first step study, I was all over the place, trying to touch on every single thing I thought I'd gotten myself into to where I, I was, but this time I knew what my character defect was and I was going at it head on. I wanted to know more about it and where it came from in my life. I found out that most of it ha I had learned watching and listening to my dad as I grew up. As time went on and recovery was doing well, we all got hit with something new. No one saw coming, the pandemic. We were all told to go home and stay home and in-person CR came to a screeching halt. I knew that for me, I had to stay engaged somehow with my forever family. So I got, so I got to help with anything I could while we stayed home. CR lifted the rules on online groups and I was able to lead a Monday Zoom open share that is still going strong today. We actually started our fifth year of that group. Well, we had to stay home for what felt like forever. And during that time, my wife and Allie and I felt like the Lord was leading us to step into the team ministry here at Celebrate Recovery. We had no idea what, when, or how we were going to do this. We just knew God had called us and we were going to give it all we got. We relaunched the landing in January of 2021. We had two leaders, ourselves, and two students. CRs CRs all over had been hurt by the pandemic and ours was no exception. Our numbers stayed like that for a while. We would have four one night and other nights we wouldn't have any. Needless to say, it was very discouraging at times. Romans 5.3 says, We can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that, we have, that they help us develop endurance. We didn't give up. We taught the lessons like there was a room full week in and week out week out and slowly things started to change and now we have anywhere from 15 to 25 students on any given week learning that they are loved exactly where they are for who they are it's not our job to change them it's our job to love them and give them the tools to use so maybe they don't have to learn the way most of all of us did and now that i'm coming up on six years of recovery I learned every single day there's more to this recovery process than I ever thought possible. I shared this week in our Monday Open Share that looking back, giving up alcohol and drugs was the easy part of this journey. Don't get me wrong, I'm still only one dumb choice away from being right back at day one with those. 
But what I mean is the hardest part for me is the sanctification process. Working to be more like Jesus every day is the hardest yet most rewarding task I had ever taken on. A good friend of mine told me when I first got here that he wasn't addicted to one particular drink or drug. He was addicted to more. More of this, more of that. Whatever it, it was, he wanted more of it. That has stuck with me since my early days of recovery. Today, I still want more. I want more Jesus. I want more walking with people that are struggling and truly are ready for a changed life. I want more quiet time with my Savior. I want more of this place, a place where we can truly be who God chose us to be. Celebrate Recovery is the biggest discipleship factory around. You know why? Because every single one of us in this room has seen the devil face to face, right? And we get to come in here and tell him where to stick it. Y'all clap that. To our new Forever family members, first of all, welcome. Welcome home. Welcome to the place where you don't have to be anyone but who you are. We're going to love you right where you are, and we're going to love you hard. Remember, we have all been right where you are now. Recovery is doable, but it will take every ounce of courage you have to stand up and say, my new life starts right now. Keep coming back even when it hurts to get out of the bed. Keep working it even when the naysayers tell you that it ain't possible. God says differently. Philippians 4.13 says, For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. I used to say God has never and will never put anything on you he thinks you cannot handle. But I have learned that that phrase is actually false. God will put on us what we cannot handle just so we have to rely on him. You are here. God has already won the first battle for you. Keep fighting because even though it's hard and there are many times you feel like giving up, the re reward on the other side of this is so worth it. Keep in mind, y'all, I can't stress enough, recovery is a process. The second you start thinking you got this and you stop using God's power, the devil will take over. The relapse process has already started and you're headed back to step one. The key is to recognize it. Humble yourself and reach out to your team and sponsor. I never saw this change in my life coming, but I wouldn't trade my recovery for anything. I love the person I am today. To God be all the glory. Thank you, Jesus, for giving me a new life. And thank you, Celebrate Recovery, for being the vehicle you used. Thanks for letting me share.